Well, very warm welcome again to today's Generation Podcast. I'm David Meredith and I am your host today. Uh, with me in our little room is Robin Sidsurf. Robin is Minister of Chalmers Church in Edinburgh. Welcome, Robin. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great. Tell us just a little bit about yourself. How did you end up being Minister of Chalmers Church? Well, um, I was converted as a child uh, in a place called Macduff, okay. um, in a mission. And uh, I think from a very early age, I would have, I, I wanted to be a minister. And I, there's a long period of growing up and a long period of study and a long period of working before that. I went to do my probation when we were in the Church of Scotland in St. Catherine's Argyle, which mm-hmm. was the predecessor to Chalmers. And it was actually a mix-up in the forums. I should have gone somewhere else and somebody else should have gone there but and I went and I think probably looking back that 18 months was a fantastic time I think it's the best job in the world being an assistant minister and um and I think there was one church that I wanted to be the minister in from then and that was there and Victor Mm -hmm. was close to the end of his ministry after a long long time I went to London and I think down there wondered could I come back and and uh, and the church became vacant I applied and and I got it, and you know, it was a real answer, desire of my heart to be their minister, and that's never changed. And that was ten years ago. I came, and uh, lots happened since then. But right. that's how I got there. So, looking at the hinterland of your life a little bit, um, what were you before you started training for ministry? So, I immediately before I started training um, for ministry, I lectured in the School of Management at Harriet Watt University, kind of business school in accounting, finance, um, sort of business ethics, that kind of area. Did a PhD there in business ethics as part of my job. And before that, I trained as a chartered accountant Right. With uh, Ernst and Young. Okay, well, you're the second chartered accountant we've had on here in the last few weeks. There's quite a lot, apparently, that have become ministers in Scotland. (laughs) 14 of us, I think. Wow, that's (laughs) incredible. Do you uh, think that that it was a good thing to have some work experience before going in for ministry? I think it's very easy to answer that question, absolutely, for everybody. I think for most people, it's a good thing. I think the way that ministry training is now, I think there's a lot more work experience in the training, perhaps, than there used to be. But I think for most people, most not maybe 90%, but certainly the majority, a period of maturing in life as a Christian, I think very practically learning what people do uh, out there in in the world, I think it it let me grow up, let me meet Sally and get married and stuff like that. But it was always their uh, ministry. I think looking at the guys that are training now, quite often I would think, look, you would really have benefited or would benefit from taking some time going into the workplace. And just living and growing up and learning skills right. in, in that environment. I want to talk to you a little bit about ministry training because I know that you've got a real interest in it. I've been in ministry now for a long time, coming up to 38 years. I did a, 
history, politics, English degree, then came here to ETS, as it's known now, and I was ordained when I was 23 years of age into a church plant. Yeah. I'd never attended uh, what in Presbyterianism, we call a Kirk session. Uh-huh. I'd never attended a leadership meeting in my entire life. Now, that was then, and it seems inconceivable that we would do it the same way. Yeah. Can you talk us through... What has become, even here in, in the Free Church of Scotland, the new paradigm for training, and mm. that we are doing a lot more internships, we're doing a lot more minister and training work, a lot more pre-seminary work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin, I, I just want you, for the sake of maybe sceptics or people who don't understand this process now, just outline the, the philosophy or, or the thought pattern behind this. Yeah, Great, David. Thank you. I think the the bottom line is the Bible encourages uh, people to train others for ministry, and the context for that must be uh, primarily, or at least uh, in a major way, inside a local church. Certainly, to Timothy, uh, Timothy is encouraged to entrust to reliable men who will teach others. That must be in the context of the church. Yeah. Um, in Ephesus. I think the, the basic philosophy extending from that is that training for ministry uh, is a combination of local church-based training alongside rigorous theological education. And what's happened in Scotland, as in many Western countries, is over a long period of time, perhaps when the kind of Christian ground was easier, ministry training has kind of been devolved away from the local church to external training providers. I think what happened in Scotland was the emergence of a seminary mindset through ATS, which kind of began to break up the ground. I think that was Mm -hmm. a major part of that. And churches thinking, look, we have a major responsibility to train. Another way to think about it, there's a world of a difference between placements and partnership Mm -hmm. when you're training. It's like two, two tracks on a railway line, running side by side over a four-year period. People working on the ground, attending Kirk Session meetings, going to a classroom, thinking about how the New Testament says churches should be led, and actually getting, uh, getting up to their eyes in the grist to the mill of Christian life and Christian ministry. I think if you were to sort of encourage a model like that, as many churches are and and, and the free churches as well. I think it, it's just not going to work if there is not an appetite on the part of the next generation or the emerging generation for that training. And what's been very striking is that the generation of future leaders and now present leaders uh, are, are 100% behind that rigorous, long-term local church partnership training with uh, external input. One uh, one parallel really helped us in the Bona Trust as we were thinking this through, and that's medicine. Yeah. You know, I have a daughter who's studying medicine in Dundee, and from the get-go, day one, Dundee, medical school, she's in the ward. Mm-hmm. She's not allowed to do anything, which is right. quite helpful, but she's in the ward with people, with people. And it, and it can be really basic in ministry, just people skills, mm-hmm. learning how to deal with people, learning how to to lead a group of diverse uh, people. And if you're going to become a doctor, you have five years at medical school, a good year and a half of which will be in a, in a ward. 
You're going to have FY1, FY2 after that. You're going to have a registrar period of time. And then you become a consultant with kind of 10 to 12 years of rigorous clinical practice alongside um, academic or, theolo- or, 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 or medical I think training. there's one school of thought that would say if God has called you for ministry, then you will automatically come with the gifts and you just get out there, you know, yeah, yeah. and then they will yeah. say to you, listen, you look at Jesus and the disciples, yeah. he gave these guys three years and then sent them out. Yeah. How, do you, how do you respond to that? Well, I think the New Testament, one of the dangers to throw the baby out with the bathwater and you, you shift the balance towards where I think the New Testament emphasis lies, which is on sending and equipping and nurturing yeah. and encouraging. But certainly call is important. Your job is to nurture uh, people with ministry gifts and to allow them to develop over a long period of time. I mean, think of, of people in the Bible like Paul uh, and, and Timothy as, as our models. They had long formation periods sure. after their conversion before they uh, emerged into leadership uh, in ministry. But you're spot on that, that you know, I think a training program can can mess up someone's gift yeah, if uh, you're not careful. Sure, and I think it's right as well that Churches need to be trained to train. Yeah, exactly. When I was a, a student, I, I was put in one church for just a few months. And I was, in fact, talking to someone this morning. It was so toxic and yeah. really dysfunctional that it, it set me back. Um, a lot of churches think that if they get a, a trainee, they get a minister in training or an intern, that it's going to help them. It may do. But short term, it is a burden, and I mean burden in, in the best sense of that word, and that you have to put a lot of effort into. It's a good burden, but sure. it's a burden. Sure. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you accept that, that, you know, not every congregation is like a GP practice. Not every GP pa- practice can train or hospital, but some churches can, some can't. Yeah, yeah. And just to make it clear, it's not, it's not simply people from a certain background or churches from a certain background that would be just as true uh, with a, a a plumbing's business or a tradesman's business. Some some guys will be great uh, teachers of apprentices. Sure. Others others won't be. Certainly for us, you know, I came with that sort of vision to train, but the church is is absolutely critical mm-hmm. for that environment. I mean, for a start, you've got to you've got to give up ministry to people who are learning mm-hmm. and they're uh, cutting their teeth. You've got to mentor people and that takes a great deal of time. You've got to be patient with people. And I think, I think you've got to say no yeah. to some people after a period of training. And that's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy do. just having that conversation with someone, if there's a guy or a girl doing women's ministry or that's something right. like that, just to say to the girl or, or the guy, listen, this is just isn't working out. Um, think about doing something else. I mean, I know that in the generation circles, the people who have gone through a really rigorous training uh, process are doing so much better in tough situations than the folk who didn't. And ministry is always tough. You seem to breeze through it effortlessly, Rowan. I mean, have you found ministry tough? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, um, oh, absolutely, um, for all sorts of reasons. Um, I think a lot of ministers 
give the impression that they are they find it it comes to them naturally they look relaxed i think god does give ministers gifts when I mean, you back to that yeah. comment earlier about calling i mean i i think you need to have gifts to do ministry but certainly for me and i suspect most if not all ministers the reality is is um there's a lot of toughness um, yeah i mean i'm thinking maybe i can think of some ministers and some wee Scottish towns in the middle of February and it's raining and it's they've just been preaching to 20 really old folk who are lovely folk, but they're just seeing the congregation. And then they look over to, you know, Robin Sidsurf and Chalmers with a church full of bright young things eager to learn, poised at the end of their seats with their notepads open saying, I want his life. What do you say to someone like that? I think there's a lot behind your question, David. I think any vision for a country needs to have the kind of church you described firmly in its sights. I was down in Eyemouth recently at the opening of a new church building and it just struck me that in places like Eyemouth, towns, villages across the country, that's where real gospel impact's going to mm. come at mm. long term. I think there is some truth. I think it, I, I think it, it, in many ways, is harder in places where there's little fruit, little response. Training might be hard, but having no one there to train yeah. uh, would be would be harder. I think, though, in any church, there are numerous challenges because there are people, and I don't mean sort of difficult situations or or difficult folk, just broken lives, mm -hmm. just heartache and sickness and, and, and death and and the last couple of nights we'd be meeting as elders with some people in the church and just weary folks, mm -hmm. weary of stuff. And I think too, David, that I've become much more conscious in the last few years of the real reality of spiritual uh, warfare. Mm -hmm. um, so much so that there are Saturdays that Sally and I will will get out of town, yeah, just to get away from the sense of oppression just, around. Just from the city, and I know that that um, the spiritual opposition is everywhere, but I think that's where our ministry is. And we get away, we get out into the country, and just in a sense, the clouds break mm. a little bit. And for me now, getting geared up towards Sunday, there's a kind of an increased yeah. urgency. And I, I think it, it I, you know, I chat to colleagues across the, the country and, and I think others experience that. I think it's, it's a tough time in Scotland. And when you are trying to train and plant and do stuff like that, that's really opposed. Yeah. Um, I was reading the other day, George Herbert's poem, The Elixir. And it's just a great poem there. You know, Herbert was a country parson, the quintessential country parson, but he speaks there just of doing things for the glory of God and God meeting him in the most inauspicious places. Yeah, uh, yeah. The whole idea of, you know, that's what he calls the philosopher's stone, the thing that just turns everything round. Yeah. And, you, you know, a lot of great ministries have come out of small places, Rutherford and Anworth, um, and, and situations like, like that. Well, like Eyemouth. Or Eyemouth. I mean, I've seen 
you know, extraordinary movements of God. Absolutely. For fishing villages. Revival, yeah. And, revival. you know, there's a church down there, Imouth Baptist Church, a brand new building in a mm-hmm, small village. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, great to mm-hmm. see. Wow. It's encouraging, full Wonderful. church. Now, you've spoken quite often, or, you know, reasonably often, uh, about your struggles with depression. I know it's not a major thing in, in your life, but through your life you've been touched by the black dog. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question right at this moment. Um, I think depression as an illness is seasonal to a degree. Um, It's like Scotland, it's always cold Mm -hmm. and wet, but there are periods when it's really cold and uh, and really wet. And there are some times when it's freezing and driving rain. I think... Since we went through a, a sort of major uh, trauma as a church, and I as a leader when we left the Church of Scotland, that for me sort of moved it to a new level. I think it's been harder since then. At the moment, it would be a particularly tough, tough time. I think I've come to accept it. I was given some very, very helpful advice from a minister in uh, in a Presbyterian church in America. He's a kind of counsellor to me on this. And he said, look, don't don't wear uh, your depression on your sleeve Mm -hmm. as a minister. Speak about it openly, but candidly. Mm -hmm. Don't let it shape and dominate your your ministry. But it is part of you and embrace it and accept it. I don't think it's ever going to go. Yeah. I think it's the way I'm wired. Um, I think I've learned enough about the illness to know that there are triggers in life that uh, um, do stuff in you that you just then need to, to live with it. What's my coping strategy? Medicine. <laughs> I think it's really important for an illness like that that Keep you take good, the pills. strong medical advice mm-hmm. and uh, it lets me have really good conversations if I meet up with say a, a, a young guy who who's struggling with this and we're walking and and you know if you're a bloke you're kind of embarrassed about these kind of pills and I'll say to him look what pills are you on I'm on <laughs> sertraline and I think that's been really helpful so I think medical help is important being honest with your elders and one or two in particular are huge Blessing to me, uh, you know, one one young man is a is a real source of strength for me as I share mm-hmm. with him and 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 Sally, um, Sally, um, my wife, she's tough and gentle with this. So, for example, I'll say to her, "Look, Sally, I really need a, I need some time out with this. I just need to." And she'll, she'll say, she'll look at me as wives do without actually telling me what to do. And she'll say, don't think so, dear. Okay. Tough love. And she'll, she's right. Yeah. You know, I think you, I think you can sort of cave in uh, to it. But, you know, I think it's given me a, a deep sense of, of people's struggles and pain mm-hmm. in life and ministry. Uh, and, uh, I would love it not to be there. I'm not some kind of martyr to right. it. But 
you know, it's, but it's made it's, you it's part what of you me. are. You know, it's, it's made part you of in, me. Into the character. It, it is, and one one of the things that we're about here in generation in the podcast is being to use a, a buzzword missional. Um, the story of redemption, the story of mission, is you know the Bible is the story of mission from Genesis to Revelation, reaching out with God's message to the lost. Can you define to us? I'm thinking of Chalmers. What's your mission strategy as a church? So our vision statement as a church is um, it's pretty standard. It's uh, reaching and building and training and sending. Okay, so tell me about the reaching. How would you yeah. try to do that? So I think I think for a while in Chalmers, we were so strong on the training. We suddenly sort of woke up to, you know, what, the primary calling to the local church is to reach, is to be an evangel, is to speak out the gospel. And uh, we just on a 10-year, uh, I'm quite into sort of vision and strategy. I'm not sure that's a good idea, but it's the way you're wired. And Well, your five-year plan, you'd be a great Stalinist, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. But <laughs> so we just look back for 10 years as we think about looking forward. And I think the one big gap looking back for 10 years was was personal evangelism sure and and i think the one big gap looking back to me honestly mm. and i guess the elders would say the same was personal evangelism so i think very practically we're looking now each of us not the church corporately but each of us as individuals to take this year one significant step forward in personal evangelism whether that's reading with someone whether it's engaging with someone whether it's uh, for me, I was challenged. I'm trying to get back into running. It's a kind of midlife crisis thing, right. losing weight and running. Uh, and somebody said to me, one of the one of the trainees, the, the intern said, "I hear you're going to start running again. Why don't you join a running club so you can meet people?" So that kind of thing, a, a step uh, forward. I think we've been hugely helped as well by people like Andy Robertson, uh, Ali Sewell, people who've trained around Chalmers leading churches, particularly Andy and Charleston, the very survival of which depends yes. on evangelistic um, growth and seeing people living in communities, really seeking to reach out with the gospel. And we're planting Redeemer in three months from Chalmers. And that's really helped us watching them with the real gospel intentionality, people moving house yeah. into an air, moving jobs, uh, stuff uh, like that. I think we've probably, David, as well, shaken off as a church the parochial mindset that evangelism is local-based. Mm -hmm. I think it certainly is, mm -hmm. but evangelism is relational through our networks, through our contacts, through people and so on and, and so forth. Yes. The, the number one thing I've found since becoming mission director is the need for personal evangelism. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't let our churches do our evangelism for us. No. So we're trying to move away from, you know, programs just to get people inspired and motivated to, the phrase we use is gossip the gospel. Yeah. So we run a training program, this program sounds a bit grandiose, um, called Gossiping the Gospel just to get folk to talk. And uh, I was listening to a guy last week, he was doing one-to-one -one and just how to read the Bible with people. Yeah. And at first I thought, that sounds bizarre. But UCCF are using it um, really effectively. And the way the guy explains it, so if anybody comes across one-to-one, -one, 
it's a really good way of of learning about that's the the, Bible. the word one to one yeah okay. yeah and it's just it's very it's it's um it's john's gospel and it's very small sections and people just having the confidence to do it <laughs> and people don't need to read aloud that's one thing no, just no, that no. was a game changer to me i thought you know you're sitting in costas or starbucks and some you're getting some guy to read the bible and oh, that's just weird but it's not like that. You mentioned, David, uh, events, and we went through a lot of that. And, and they're great. You know, we used to have a lot more events than we do now. We would have sort of mission weekends. Mm -hmm. And I still think they're really important. But, you know, uh, organisations like UCCF are great models. You know, CUs now run missions, mm -hmm. and they last a whole year. And they have an events week in the middle that gives an impetus to it. But the real work is done when people are engaging personally in a van. And, and I, I, I just can't, in, in, with integrity, really stand up and exhort the church to evangelism yeah. if I'm not going to do it yeah. myself. And, but that's another big, steep learning curve. You know, it, it's, it's, it's tough to, to just to engage personally in evangelism, but... One of the things that I want to chat about just for a little bit is I have been very impressed how apparently free from tribalism you ha you are and that you, you just seem to encourage gospel work wherever you see it through your involvement with the Boner Trust, through your involvement with training at Chalmers. You, you've, I mean, you've trained so many of our guys. We are a slightly different tribe. I mean... Have you always been free of kind of a parochial mentality or as you grow older, is it something that's becoming just less important for you? That's a great question. I think looking back, David, yes, I would always be that kind of way wired. I think there was a period as I look back in ministry that I was unrealistic and perhaps naive. And you think that, you think that, gospel unity or gospel strategy, gospel vision, you can just wrap wide arms around that and you're the one that can make it work and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I think for me, there, there, there was certainly over the last 10 years a, a real realisation that you need to have fundamental shared convictions on what ministry is, um, what the, the core components of that are. But that done and that said... I would have a very, very strong conviction, given the landscape in Scotland, as somebody who's a leader of an independent church, that Scotland desperately needs a strong free church of Scotland, for example. And it would never really cross our mind now that we would train people in Chammers who will become independent church ministers, like Sam and Redeemer, yeah, and, and free church ministers. If the truth be told, you're not purely independent because you are heavily networked and you know you you mix you mix more with some of our guys than some of our guys yeah. do to be quite frank i mean our background would be would be um i mean a presbyterian background well sort of heritage you, you, and you, culture you, chalmers church the name kind of gives it away is that a free right church away. name is it? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> we should have put a copyright on it but you know through generation our intention yeah. Starting generation up was a generation would be also gospel. There'd be a gospel Catholicity, and so Sam Orr 
as part of That's the right. gospel thing. Um, Kenny Rogan up in Aviemore, so you've got an FIC, yeah. a kind of independent Presbyterian church. All you know, with Baptists, Matt Round, folk like that. So there's just a lovely atmosphere, and I hope I'm not being too pietistic when these guys and girls are all in in one room together. I mean, that's that's your vision, David, and others in your denomination who share that vision. And I think as people in our sort of 50s and, and, and upwards, it's very, very important that we we don't, we don't, because we're in sort of in leadership now, it's very important that we don't cause the next generation frustration mm-hmm. by not being where they are. I mean, they're not thinking. They have strong views on secondary issues, for example, but their mindset is not to think, well, what's that guy doing? Where is he? They're more networked than, than our generation was. They're networked, and they are clear about primary and secondary issues. Yeah. Now, they're in their different groups, but they're not in tribes. Yeah, It's a very big difference. Yeah. They're in constituencies in their groups, but they're not in in, in tribes. And I think across Scotland, that's a, a good and a God-given uh, thing. I think as gospel vision and strategy emerges, um, there'll not be one group or one outfit that does everything in relation to a ministry area like planting or training. I think in, I think you've got um, ETS here in Edinburgh, which is, you know, right behind partnership training. You've got pastors training in Glasgow, right behind partnership training. You've got something like Crosslands now, mm-hmm. which is right behind partnership training. And what heartens me is that these different things are are are, are, are driving for the same uh, vision, but you've got to work really hard relationally, um, and that's a big, big weakness. Looking back um, in the last ten, fifteen, twenty years in Scotland, but thankfully, the next generation is better at that than than perhaps we were. But you know, I, I'd love to. I love it that we've been able to train Andy Robertson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who's free church through and through, mm-hmm. and he's up in Charleston. Mm-hmm. And I love it that Generation mm-hmm. has got its arms wrapped around Sam, mm-hmm. who is a, who's going to be leading a, a, an independent church in, in Redeemer. I think that's great. Well, they enjoy one another's company. And whenever I, you know, they, they meet at least once a month upstairs in the mission centre. And the buzz coming from the room is just so encouraging. Talking about, I mean, encourage is one of those meaningless words often. <laughs> you know, in a in a kind of strategy document, you know, a congregation will come to me and one of their action points is encourage this, encourage that. And I say, well, what does it mean? You just shout nice things from the sidelines. Um, given that encouragement can be a meaningless word, but it can also be meaningful. Are you encouraged as you look at the Scottish situation? Well, encouragement is important. So I think that there's there's a bit of my reflection when I went into ministry, a little bit of the atmosphere around me. I mean, I had a wonderful mentor in in James Philip um, and then Philip Hare. These -hmm. were the guys that, that, uh, or men that helped me and led me into ministry. But there was a mentality around me that, well, try everything else and if everything doesn't work, ministry right be, might be right. And 
almost a kind of negativity rather mm-hmm. than encouragement. So I think I think encouraging people is really important. Now, am I encouraged about the spiritual state of Scotland? I, I'm frightened, David, by yeah. by it. I think it's extremely challenging environment, and I wonder where where things will go. So I'm frightened by it. One of the one of the positives because of what we've gone through as a church, it's opened our eyes to reality. So we're not, in a sense, unaware of the the challenge. But it's a big, big mountain to climb. But where are the encouragements? The encouragements are a generation of leaders emerging mm-hmm. who have got the bit between their teeth, who will guard the gospel and who are not only leading churches but are leading churches that are from the get-go committed to training people mm-hmm. and planting churches and that's a huge huge um, encouragement but it's a tiny tiny step still in relation to the challenge we face um, across the the country but you know we we can't we can't do what only God can do. I mean, no soul can be converted without God. No country can be revived without God. But we can put an infrastructure in place to create what people might call a pipeline of good quality training, good quality planting, good quality networking, good quality funding to enable people to do ministry. And quite a lot of that scaffolding is now looking like it's in place, yeah. which phone, is encouraging. Phone may be inter- I don't know if you've got the figures at your fingertips just now, so maybe roughly will do. Um, presently, how many guys and girls do you folk have in training in, in your networks? So in Chalmers, we have currently six ministry apprentices and three ministers in training. Mm. And... The ministers in training are going to split. We're going to have two, and then one is going to go with uh, Sam to Redeemer. So the apprentices are kind of two-year foundation. The ministers in training, three, four, or five years alongside ETS or Crosslands, um, and then working with Generation in the last couple of years of that. So that's a lot of people, and it's a lot of investment of our, of our time. We have a guy, an assistant minister, Roger, who's really gifted, came from St. Helens, where Paul Clark was from, and worked there with Michael Yu in their training program. And he's come up really to invest in the stage one training, the two-year apprenticeship training, where, where we're really trying to teach them confidence in the Bible and, and godliness. These right. are the two marks of, of that program. I think looking at Scotland, I think probably what will happen is a small number of churches will have apprenticeship programs with five, six people. Mm-hmm. And I think they're sort of serving the wider church. Yeah. A lot of churches will be able to have ministers in training, one person with them over three or four years. And of course, they'll get brilliant experience mm-hmm. out there in, in, in the kind of churches you referred to earlier. And then a small number of churches or networks doing the specialist uh, church planting training. So that's Chalmers. The wider kind of networks we'd be involved in with the Bona Trust, I think very strikingly, they're the same networks mm-hmm. as a Generation. Um, 
we'd be involved too with um, Cornhill Pastors Training through in the, the West. What are the numbers involved? I think um, in terms of grants, the Trust will have given out this year 40, 50, something like that. That's the kind of level of people. I think that the, the network, though, David, is is it's kind of multi-generational. We would take, I would take sort of personally a long-term view of people. So, for example, there's a young man who's gone off to university in Glasgow. He's 18. Um, uh, he's rough around the edges in lots of ways. But you see in these young people real gifts for ministry. So you, you're working with that generation, with them coming into apprenticeship programs, say, in five or six or 10 years, a bit like the boot camp mm -hmm, um, in, in the free church. And if you add up all the people, and um, I know you had uh, Andy Bathgate here from Scripture Union, mm -hmm. you know, that's a critical ministry at nurturing the generation of, of future leaders. If you wrap all them up, you know, any of us, in a sense, in our network of leaders are, are going to know a hundred odd people who are thinking and uh, uh, about ministry. I think the network would extend not simply to the people themselves, but to the people who will support them in ministry, people who will fund them, mm -hmm. people who will train them. And uh, in a sense, the, the, the organizations like Generation the Bona Trust. I mean, what's interesting is that they, they've become kind of networks, really, mm -hmm. rather than trusts or yep. ministries. Yep. Um, and the same networks, there's a real overlap between the training network and the planting network, mm -hmm. for example. And I know that generation is, because we need to make sure that the existing churches get future leaders We're doing a revitalization and a revitalization. Well, yeah. So it's new churches, you know, yep. ailing churches and strong churches to be made mm -hmm. uh, strong. So, you know, a big network, and I'm, I'm always in touch with people. So for example, people looking to come back to Scotland who have been a, a, away this week. I, I, I spent yesterday for an hour on a Skype call with a fellow in, in Boston who's had one trip to the UK and who has a real desire in his heart for Scotland yeah. long-term. Now, these are they're quite time-consuming, these conversations. It's a long time in the making, but I think just to encourage them. You, yeah, and you plant seeds and, you know, after sometimes a few years, the seeds come to fruition. That's the essence of gospel work, whether it's just talking to other co-workers, yeah. telling them to come over to Macedonia, as it were. Our ministry is long-term. I mean, I was 31 years in, in, in one church, and folks say that was a long time, but, well, it was just the season it took to get things to a certain level. Um, yeah. And I think we're nearing the end now. We're, we try to aim for about 40 minutes, so this is just flown by. Robin, it's been great having you with us today. Thank you for giving of your precious time. And we want to thank you for what you do uh, for the church in Scotland, for encouraging and helping in, in the training scheme. Thank you for having me. Thank you.